This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome to our listeners and welcome back, Julia. Julia is joining us today for our final episode in our Get Through the Tough Stuff, a Guide for Leaders conversation series. In today's episode, we focus very much on empathy and self-compassion, a topic that I hold very dear. Now, Julia is the Indian founder of Luminos, and for 14 years, they have been providing processes, strategies, skills, and safe spaces to daring individuals, teams, and companies who are committed to developing courage, conversation, and resilience to get through the tough stuff of work and life. And of course, they do this through upbringing both individual and team coaching interventions, and of course, Brené Brown's Dare to Lead Courage Building offerings. So welcome, Julia. Great to have you back with us. Thank you, Karen. I look forward to this conversation. Fantastic. So let's begin. What is empathy and self-compassion? Is it feeling sorry for myself? Yeah, you might think of that. So they're actually two very distinct experiences. So empathy is often misunderstood to be this idea of I need to be able to have experienced what another person is going through and to be able to connect with them. So the first thing to say is that empathy is not about responding to an experience or an event that someone is sharing with us. It's about connecting to the emotions that underpin that experience. Because many people will say, well, I've never been retrenched before, or I've never um, had to move countries and, and deal with all that uncertainty, or I've never had a miscarriage. But how am I supposed to be there with that person when that's not been anything that I've ever you know, lived? So the first thing is, it's about understanding what are what are the emotions that this person is experiencing? And again, this is where empathy is really reliant on a strong foundation of what we call emotional literacy. If I don't have a language for my emotions, there's no ways I can tune into those of another. So if, when when someone tells me I've been retrenched, it's like I'm understanding that the emotion that they may be talking to, and of course I question that, is around loss is around feeling maybe ashamed. Maybe it's feeling a level of freedom and relief. So there's something about saying, can I tune into that in myself? Do I know what loss or relief or you know resignation feels like? And can I just tune, tune into that? And in that way, I'm being exquisitely present to the other person's suffering. So that's empathy is that I can really, you know, tune in to what's going on for them and I can stay out of judgment. So we'll talk to some of the empathy misses, but this idea of I don't, I don't judge someone for how they're feeling. I just say that's their reality. So if you say to me, you know, I'm feeling devastated. I've just got this really bad feedback. I wouldn't say, don't be silly, man. It's fine. It's not such a big deal. I would tune into that feeling of devastation and maybe deep disappointment and say, tell me more. Help me understand what's going on for you. What do you need from me? So empathy, really tuning into the emotions and staying out of judgment 
self-compassion is a really magnificent quality to cultivate. And there is this misperception that it's about me, you know, coming lazy, cutting myself too much slack, you know, not honoring my commitments because I'm just going to say, you know, I'm going to be self-compassion and just give myself this break. So self-compassion is think about what you would say to somebody that was in struggle. Think about how you would really show up for them in an authentic, wholehearted way. And imagine that you could turn that around onto yourself in the same moments that you experience struggle or difficulty. So what's called to self-compassion, and it's a real practice of courage, right? Is can I treat myself and speak to myself with the same care and genuine warmth that I would offer someone that I admire or respect? Now, most people say to me, hell no. And kind of, yeah, that's you too. So it's kind of like the way in which I speak to myself when I'm struggled, or I've dropped a ball, or I've made a mistake, or I'm, you know, dealing with shame or whatever the hard experience is, is this really, really harsh inner critic comes to the fore. So self-compassion is about being able to very mindfully notice what is my self-talk in this moment? Is it helpful? And can I not over-identify with the emotion that's going on for me, but also not under-identify with it? So can I just be present to what is happening? Can I also acknowledge that I'm part of a broader human condition? We all experience struggling and suffering. And can I see that I'm not alone? And then the third part of self-compassion is can I offer myself this warmth and kindness versus this harsh inner criticism? So those are the three components of self-compassion. It's understanding I'm not alone, I'm part of human connection. I can be mindful about what the emotion is that's playing out for me, not over or under-identify with it. And can I show myself some level of warmth and kindness? So that's... That, yeah, maybe in, in quite a big nutshell, that's kind of, you know, trying to distinguish between empathy and, and self-compassion. And I think it's so important, those three things that you mentioned, because we do, when, when something has gone wrong, we are 10 times harder on ourselves than we are on anybody else. And, you know, besides just when something has gone wrong, most people live with this very harsh inner critic in their heads that's judging them all the time. And it's difficult often to silence that and often when we do it's because we're so overwhelmed or we've had we've had enough of that but then we go into that victim mode that kind of poor me which is a very disempowering mode and always leads to that that inner critic coming out even stronger the next time because now you're now you're falling to pieces or you know there's there's even something more worse wrong with you kind of thing yeah, so you might find yourself what Brene Brown and her research would call going into a shame spiral. Mm-hmm. And you start to notice the self-talk becomes very quite, really quite harmful and very negative. And it starts to speak to, I'm not enough. And, and I'll never be enough for it. I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know. And so w- once you realize you start to go down that, that spiral and really start you know, circling the drain, there's something about saying, hold on, 
what, how do I reality check what's going on for me right now? What are the stories I'm telling myself in this moment? What are some of the messages, the expectations of others or society that I'm buying into that maybe need to be reassessed? You know, so I know that when, you know, there's a whole lot of norms around how women show up when they're in those places and there are a whole lot of norms around how men show up. And it is sometimes split according to gender. So women will feel like, you know, I'm not a good enough parent and I'm also trying to, you know, you know, be the professional and, you know, I'm getting it all wrong and I'm not going there. And it's, it's about saying, hold on. So what? Because you're a woman and a parent and wanting to be a professional, you can't offer yourself a moment of grace to say, this is a difficult juggle. Or are you buying into these messages of women need to be perfect? They need to never break a sweat. They need to have all these roles nailed down and getting 100% every time. It's like, no, what would the most self, self-compassionate conversation I could be have with myself in this moment it's it's okay you haven't got it 100 right you're not alone many people struggle with this and i'm doing the very best i can all right let's take a breath and who do i need to perhaps reach out to in order to receive empathy if i cannot offer it to myself who might i go to who is going to Offer me that warmth and kindness, but also perspective. Somebody who's earned the right to hear my hard stories or those, you know, our, you know, our vulnerabilities or our insecurities. And somebody who's going to also hold up that mirror. So we, we talk about, um, this is not your suck-up squad that says, oh, rubbish, everything's fabulous. They actually say, you know what, you, you did mess that up. It must have been really hard and, and really <laughs> devastating for you. But you know what? Dust yourself off. I know you can go out there and be brave again. I believe in you. But, you know, you didn't handle that well, but get out there again. I think it's it's very valid. And as you were speaking around, you know, when we when we kind of go into that shame cycle or, or, or we're in those depths of despair, often it's because we we tend to lack boundaries or we, we've created this, this picture-perfect reality that we've got to try and live up to. And often we don't sit back and create proper boundaries around around ourselves, around what it means to be a good mother, a good wife, a good professional, etc. And we don't stick to those boundaries. So what happens, you know, if, when we're exposed to too much suffering and negativity around us and we don't have these good boundaries, what else happens to us that kind of helps, that brings us down into this, these depths of despair? So what I could tell you for free with very much a lived experience, is no boundaries leads to a lot of resentment. It leads to a lot of burnout and to maybe tapping out of life, joy, courage. So one of the most startling things that I found in in, in you know learning this work and doing the research is that and I really want people to like pause for a moment and listen to what I'm going to say because it could rattle your world as much as mine, right? Is the most compassionate people are the most boundaried. I was like, what? I'm like, what do you mean? Because we have this perception that if I'm going to be compassionate and deeply empathetic, I have this experience. 
yeah, I'm going to give and give and give and give. I have this huge capacity for generosity, which is a core component of these 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 topics, absolutely. But the moment I start to feel resentment, being taken advantage of, that's a very clear cue that you've taken it too far. So individuals who know they have this capacity know how much they have to give and they have to be very clear around where they begin and end, what is okay, what isn't okay, what they're willing to give and what they're willing to say no to. These are all boundary setting techniques so that they can manage their own inner wells of, you know, compassion and keep that that capacity safe, if you like, but at the same time not then feel resentful towards others. So they know how much energy they have to give and they guard that energy and then make sure that that's communicated to other people. So watch out for the cues of resentment and that those conversations around, well, you know, after all I've done, this is what I expect. It's like, well, what offers have you been making? Where have you been making requests? Where have you been saying no? And I think just as you're talking, even even the thoughts of saying no, sometimes it, it elevates my map that that heart rate because you sometimes don't feel that you are in a position to say no it's difficult to say no because obviously it comes with all of these expectations of you know letting others down or but being compassionate being able to step in and help them so how do we deal with that level of anxiety how do we get more comfortable about saying no Oh, I don't know if you ever get comfortable with it because it's, you know, it's got vulnerability baked into that experience. So I think it's about developing a range. It's like if we're driving a car, we don't always drive it in first gear. So if my own response to any request that comes to me is yes, you're on a hiding for nothing. If I just say yes to everything, you're going to overcommit, you're going to, you know, get resentful, you're going to burn out, etc. And at the same time, if your other gear is only ever no, well, then you're not going to, you know, collaborate. You're not going to be exposed to things. You're not going to stretch. You're not going to grow, et cetera. And you're going to be seen as somebody that's just really, you know, unpleasant to deal with, you know, no, 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 no. So there's something about, can I, can I work the gears in between around, can I say no, not right now? Or can I defer this? So I really want to do this, however, based on the following commitments, I'd only be able to pick this up later or give you a definitive answer at five o'clock tomorrow. How does that sound? So it's a bit of a negotiation, so negotiation skills. And of course, there's this other skill set, which is really difficult for control freaks like maybe just me, is to delegate, right? Is to be able to say, right, even though I can do this, is this something that I should be doing? Is this something that I could perhaps, you know, pass on to somebody else? Maybe if it's a team member or a referral or an associate, for example, because it may be taking me away from something that is part of my purpose or our strategy, or that gives me joy. Is this going to build that ability or detract from it? And I'm just saying it because I hadn't built the courage to be able to say, no, not right now, or thank you, I'm going to say no to this. And know that that little voice is going to pop up in your head and say, really, are you crazy? If you say no to this, maybe another opportunity won't come about. 
But I really encourage you to test that with it. And I'm really to try and practice what I preach here because it is one of the hardest things. So it's about saying, am I clear around what it is I want to say yes to? Because every time I say yes, there is an implicit no that I'm saying as well. You know, as you're speaking, it it sounds easy, and it, it it sounds we know it's simple, but we know it's not easy. And I think, you know, when we start getting better about setting boundaries, and and as you mentioned earlier, when we notice we're becoming a little bit resentful around certain situations, that's one of the clear indicators that we need to we need a stronger boundary in that in that instance. But we are the biggest perpetuators often in our own lives of once we set that boundary, crossing it. So what is your advice? So first of all, how do you hold yourself accountable? And when you have set that boundary, how do you communicate those to others? And how do you communicate when when others are trying to cross that boundary? Yeah, so this might sound quite esoteric, but you have to tune into your body in that moment. And I like to say that the body speaks first. It never lies. It always wins and it keeps score. So your body will be constantly throughout the day giving you signals around does it feel safe, open, relaxed, which is a wonderful state to be collaborative and you know learning and engaging in flow and working well with other people. Or is there some kind of tightness and constriction that's telling you that it's in some possible kind of kind of threat or response? So I think it's about just noticing when a request comes through and you know what that answer should be, what's your body telling you in that moment to just take a breath and try and release it. So I always feel that tension in kind of my diaphragm. And there's something about slowing down the breath, calming the nervous system down, speaking a little bit more slowly, just saying, I'd like to understand more about what you're asking for me. I know that I don't have capacity right now. But I understand this is something that's important to you. So can we have a conversation about that? Where where are the areas of negotiation? So there's something about being able to calm yourself down, tune into what am I just saying yes because I always say that and this is an important stakeholder and how can I say no? But really kind of trying to engage in a conversation around understanding. Help me understand what you're asking me before I just shout yes. Yeah. Then it's important if if you want your boundaries to be respected to communicate those to other people because I don't know where your lines are, Karen. So if I don't know where that line is, I might just walk over it. So the minute that happens, I need to be able to say to somebody because we don't go around with our little you know banners saying these are my six boundaries and oh you're about to you know you've just crossed one, but it is about naming them when when that does happen. So there are many different kinds of boundaries, boundaries around our personal space. You know, you might not be the kind of person who likes to be kissed on the lips when you've been greeted by a stranger. So if someone does that, you might have to, if it feels like this is something going on, say, listen, you know, I'm just a hugger, you know, I prefer not to do that. If it's around, you know, you know, work commitments, you've got to get really explicit around when do I need this document by and by when. What's that expectation and then follow up with that? It could be around, you know, using your, you know, your things, you know, please don't use my, you know, my computer when I'm not in the office today, whatever it is. And I'm using silly examples, but there's something about being able to explicitly name what those boundaries are. And if they are crossed by others to be able to have 
quite an uncomfortable conversation, but a necessary one so that people know where they stand. And of course, if, if you cross someone's boundary and they call you out for it is to own your part. Even if you were like, I was completely unaware, I'm not denying that that's been triggering for you. I, I acknowledge that I was in a blind spot. Help me understand how I don't do that again. How do we, how do we make amends? And I think what you've just described is, is so important that it, it goes back to our previous conversation in, in episode two, which is takes out the courage. It does. Excellent. And you've got to be vulnerable as well to say, this is what I'm uncomfortable with. I can't handle every situation or I, I have limits to my time or I'm not superwoman. Yeah. And so acknowledging that is also sometimes part of, part of the, the journey towards self-compassion. We call it fierce self-compassion. Like I said, there's sometimes this myth that being self-compassionate, I'm going to get you know, so soft and kind and almost passive, but actually when I'm really clear and boundaried and still kind and I can say to people, I really, I can hear you've got this really big need and I cannot support you for the following reasons, or I can't do it right now. I'm going to have to hand you on to somebody else. You're, you're still really connecting to whatever their pain is in that moment. You know, they've got a problem they are hoping you could solve and you can't, right? So you're still being really empathetic to that you're still connecting to whatever they're experiencing with that compassion but you're also being really quite and quite bold which is courage again right and noticing that I, I've noticed that when either my clients do it or I'm practicing doing this it builds greater respect mutual regard and and trust with the other people because now they have a sense of I'm not the person they're going to call when they've got a crisis that needs to be solved tomorrow. I'm the person that wants to partner with you as their coach to understand what's going on to you know be able to walk a journey with you versus just I'm the person you're going to phone at the last minute to come solve some problem because you don't know how to deal with yourself. Now that's not to say when my clients have issues that I'm not there for them but it's about saying Let's do this properly. And once I've done that, there's a sense of, okay, and in a way you train them. They go, okay, you know what, Judy, I think there's something coming up here. Can we can we start talking about this in advance? So they start to become more strategic. And and and, and again, and the last thing I'll say is that sometimes it's, it, it's this courage to be quite philosophical around saying that which is not meant for me, you know, will pass me by. So if this is not meant to be for me, it'll be for somebody else. And I'm okay with that because I don't want to live in resentment and burnout and feeling so shattered on the weekend. I can't even be present for my family. And that's often, you know, how we all live because we, we're trying, you know, to meet all the expectations and demands of other people. And at what cost? I had, I had a client who said to me, you know what, Julia, you know, you just said, this is really expensive, this strategy. And I'm like, yeah, it's a great way of putting it. There's a huge cost to this. And how do we start to come up with other strategies for you to be able to say no on occasion or to push back and be a little bit fierce, but also kind to yourself when things go wrong. And I think he's a stronger man and husband and leader as a result. 
we've come to the end of this, but before we before we end off the series, and it's been it's been phenomenal being able to to chat with you about these things. What are some pearls of wisdom that you can leave our our listeners with, and particularly those in in the leadership space wanting to put this into action for themselves and for their teams? I think the biggest mistake you can make is trying to be perfect, is trying to act at all times like you like you've got all your SH one T together. It's it's an unnecessary burden and expectation you are placing on yourself. And there's something really quite magnificent and courageous about being able to say on occasion, I don't know, I don't understand, I need help, what's my part, I apologize, and how do we fix this, what do you need from me? These are really, really brave and vulnerable questions, but I think it also relieves us of this feeling of, I've got to be this kind of invincible superman, superwoman, super colleague. Like we all want to do a fantastic job, but we've also got to own that a lot of the time we're managing a lot of really hard emotions and experiences. The second thing I'd say is find a safe place space or space where you can go to to unpack some of the tough stuff of life. I don't know any courageous leader or person who doesn't have a best friend, a mentor or a coach or a therapist who they can go to and get this stuff out, make sense of it, pack it together into their life so they can go out Again, not armored up, looking perfect, but with an ability to still be real and authentic and to get things done. If not, it just goes up to the washing machine inside and we land up feeling really alone. And most importantly, we play out all those negative stories and experiences out on others, consciously or unconsciously. And we don't want that. We want clean and pristine environments where people can show up as their real selves. And sometimes those real selves are hot messes. And on occasion, that's also okay. And going back to being able to build that psychological safety, which is so important, but some great pieces of advice and what a great conversation series. And for any listeners that may be joining us for the first time today, you have been listening to episode three in our Getting Through the Tough Stuff, stuff to the Tough Stuff, a Guide for Leaders conversation series with Julia Kohenkel. And just, Julia, just maybe just a bit of background, some of your, you know, what is it that you do? And tell us a little bit more about Luminos and how can people get in touch with you? So I I, I guess I, I'm all about teaching people to really, you know, tune into themselves, to wake up and to build skills around creating greater connection. And that's through communication and conversation and courage as a core skill set as part of that. So whether it's an individual coaching where myself or my associates partner with an individual over a, a period of time to be able to support them on specific objectives they wanting to work on with a personal, professional or a combination, or team coaching, so taking teams through developmental journeys around helping them work together more 
efficiently building psychological safety, for example, building skills so that they can accomplish what they most need to accomplish according to their purpose and mandate. And then, of course, there's leadership development stuff, which is around you know, providing skills and training. It could also be around you know, keynotes and inspiration. But I guess fundamentally, it's about how, how do we have more skillful human beings showing up, whether it's at home, in their workplaces, in their communities, in schools, and getting them to, to go there and to clean up their mess when they don't get it right, because that's also okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And where can people get hold of you? So you can get hold of me at my website, which is luminos, L-U-M-M-I-N-O-S dot C-O dot Z-A. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Julia. All the best. Thank you, Karen. <laughs>